freebrooklyn.org. Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And uh, with us today is Grove Ruin. Uh, Grove has spent uh, the past nine years in Staten Island, New York, making connections in the ever-growing and impressive Staten Island music and art scene. She holds a Bachelor's of Science in Music from the College of Staten Island and teaches piano lessons and gigs regularly all over the um, tri-state area. You can find her on social media as the one and only Grove Ruin on the internet and Facebook and at Grove Ruin at, uh, Instagram, on Instagram. Welcome, Grove. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. So, so nice to hear, uh, speak for, speak with a fellow Staten Islander. Uh, I grew up in Staten Island, I was born and raised in Staten Island. So tell us a little bit about, um, the, for those of you, you know, many people have this like misconception about Staten Island. They can do sort of the forgotten borough and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, I just misperception. So why don't we talk a little bit about the growing, um, art and music scene and how that's been developing and tell us a little bit about your impressions of Staten Island as a community and stuff. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I, I guess sort of an outset. I'm from the South. I'm from Alabama. When I first came to Staten Island, there was a lot of, I guess I, I heard, you know, about the, the mob history uh, and the Guido history <laughs> and like all of, all of that. And it's always called the dump and all these little things that Staten Island is, I guess, sort of stereotypically known for. But then my experience of it has been so drastically different than that, that a lot of that is just media and MTV and whatnot. But then we have one of the most incredible art and music scenes I've ever, I can't believe I'm blessed to be a part of it. Um, You know, my favorite artists are on Staten Island. My favorite musician is on Staten Island. Like people that I would pay lots of money to go, to go see um, are are all on Staten Island. And it's, uh, it's, Pretty impressive. I'm really, yeah. I'm really blessed. Yeah, Staten Island, uh, for those of you outside of New York, is the southernmost borough out of the five boroughs in New York City. So it's definitely a part of the city. It's definitely like, you know, um, it has a different feel, but it's uh, it's definitely part of It's in New York, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, people kind of forget that. And it's not, you know, like what you see in the, um, you know, kind of media about New York City, but it's a very community feel. And, uh, you know, in the mainland sound, it's a lot of times it's very – residential it's very like you know um but in the north shore is the most 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 of the place where we have a lot of the burgeoning art scene and we have a lot of communities more connected to mm-hmm. proper new york you know yeah yeah so tell us a little bit about your art practice your music and how you got into how long you've been singing songwriting all this kind of stuff about your um education in music yeah yeah sure um I, I guess I came out of my mama singing. <laughs> like, yeah. That's one thing that's always been there um, is, is singing and it was writing little, little songs about flamingos when I was four. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like I've always been writing nice. um, and always been creating musically. Um, and um, started playing piano as a kid, uh, guitar as a teenager. And it just kind of kept going until I, I got my music degree at CSI. Um, I had at one point, uh, thought that I wasn't going to do that. I had really bad stage fright till I was uh, in my early 20s and didn't think that I was going to actually pursue anything. And then I just told myself I didn't want to live with regret. So let's just try it. Yeah. Um, ended up ended up doing pretty well. And now I'm kind of all over the place with my music. <laughs> so I'm grateful. Great, great. And who are the principal influences? Like, what did you listen to growing up and how did that change? Oh, man. Um, my biggest influence um, is, is Tori Amos. Yeah, um, I love her. All of like the the nineties uh, female songwriters, yeah. you know, F- uh, Fiona Apple, Regina Spector, um, Ani DeFranco, 
those are all huge influences on me, as well as uh, um, some jazz. Bill Evans, Thelonious Monk are two, are two jazzers that I'm really influenced by. Um, Jeff Buckley, uh, vocally, very influenced by Jeff Buckley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you think is first, uh, the writing the lyrics or the songs, and how do they influence each other? Like how do, When you're um, composing a song, like what comes first to you or what, what, what's kind of the process? Tell us to get into the organic process of singer songwriter. Cause you're singing, you're, you're writing, you're also doing the music. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah. All right. Um, it's kind of energetic, honestly. It, it really doesn't start with anything but, um, an energy that sort of bubbles up. And usually the music comes first. Um, usually I'm just on my keys. I, I, I usually consider myself more of a keyboard player, a piano player than, uh, than a singer. Um, so the music usually comes first and and the the words just sort of flow into that you know it's it's what what makes sense kind of they just sort of spill out um with the music um usually if i if i try to write the words first and then the music it i usually hate what i write yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you have a album out uh on bandcamp is this your first album or it's it's yeah, first it's, album? yeah it's my first uh release yeah it's uh, i'll brush my hair tomorrow right mhm and tell us a little bit about creating the album as like a as like a, uh, you know, as a whole and, um, and the title is such an interesting title. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what was the energy behind that? What was the energy that came up for you for that? Well, it it is sort of one of the, it's sort of, sort of like a, a bigger idea and then there's a smaller idea. And the, the bigger idea is that the um, superficial stuff has never really mattered much to me. Yeah. I'll brush my hair tomorrow. What's important is playing this song right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I had um, really... I had been in bands for a while and then, you know, that I became solo and I, the band sort of dismantled. We all wanted to do different things and I really wanted to put something out. Yeah. Um, and this EP was more of just like, I need, I need to get this to you. Yeah. Um, and I, it doesn't really matter about the fluff. So it's just keys. It's just my vocals. There's, there's no harmony. It's nothing else. It's very raw. Um, and I, I felt like that was speaking to the core of who I am as well. And I've never really, placed a whole lot of importance on anything other than what the heart of things are. Mm. So that's really what the overarching idea of this, of the CP was. And the, the, um, there's a little bit of a storyline to it as well of moving through some things that I, you know, you, when you get stuck on something and you just find yourself in cycles and patterns and you're trying to move to the next stage of life and you just feel like you're attached to old things. And this is very much an album exploring that journey of detaching from from the past and from ideas of what I think I want and just letting the future be what it is. Yeah, rewriting the narrative. So we mm-hmm. have like this narrative that comes up when we're sad or we're depressed or whatever it is. And then we kind of get, we're stuck in those thought patterns. And then, you know, being able to rewrite those narratives and be able to have find power in ourselves and our truth, uh, I think is important. That's what I kind of get from what you're saying and from, mm-hmm. you know, having listened to music and such. So um, we were talking a little bit about genres and such. I know it's kind of reductive or, or kind of what's the word like, um, you know, kind of reducing, you know, you don't want to reduce, but at the same time, you know, thinking about genre and we'll listen to a sample of the song. Uh, we'll listen to one song in the mid, mid game. Um, but thinking about genre, how do you classify yourself? How would you market yourself if you were, uh, what kind of genre? We were talking a little bit about it, but tell us a little bit about the genres that influence you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like the word baroque, uh, baroque pop, baroque rock. I don't know alternative. Yeah. I guess because uh, a lot of the bands that I love um, have sort of this this classification of either baroque rock or baroque pop, where there's a classical influence um, in their music. So I have some classical training, and that does show up in my music. 
Um, but there's a lot of, you know, blues and jazz influence as well. So it's just sort of like an alternative type of yeah, thing, yeah. I guess. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about uh, mixing genres and being influenced by different genres, being influenced by and creating a unique sound, kind of challenging the listener a little bit to not kind of put things in small boxes, but rather listen to the artist speaking heart to heart with the with the listener. And speaking of which, um, kind of one of the questions that I give is like, what do you hope to uh, what do you hope that that your listener will receive from you when they when they um, when you share your principal discipline with others, you know, uh, when you're sharing your songs with others, what, what do you hope that, that what kind of feeling or what kind of um, experience do you hope the listener will get from you? I hope that they will suspend everything that they think they are, everything they think I am, and just be taken with a story. Yeah. Yeah, just, just kind of, I like to surprise people. I like to work with the breath in my songs, like give you moments where you're not expecting to take your breath in. Yeah. You're not expecting to let it out. Um, and I, I like doing that because it takes you out of, out of the mind. It puts you in more of the experiential um, aspect of it. So it gets you out of all these, like the fluff, like we were talking about before, all the superficial, like, what are you wearing? How do you look? How are you standing? Who's with you? And how do, what are they thinking of you? And like, you just, I just like stories, just get swept in the story and have mm-hmm. your experience and hopefully, you know, rethink your, your attachments. <laughs> yeah. It's a good headway into how yoga has played a role in your life mm-hmm. and how the meditative path. And that's something that's influenced me as well. You know, something to, um, you know, there's so, so much, so many of us are, you know, kind of uh, materialism driven and some of us are, are worldly driven, but to be able to examine our thoughts and examine and not attach them. But, you know, the meditative path um, talks about allowing thoughts just to pass. And we've done a lot of episodes about kind of the meditative path and the yogic path about, you know, how to, you know, practice the meditative path through yoga, through um, discipline. So tell us a little bit about your understanding of these um, philosophies and how they've influenced you. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, I, I guess I came to yoga about 10 years ago, um, and it was, it was, it was during a very hard time in my life uh, where I needed to learn that the body and the mind are not me, and that I needed to, to understand and to, to learn how to see that um, my attachment to what my mind was doing was creating my own suffering. You know, and so when I when I'm able to just observe the body and the mind, um, I free myself from everything holding me back. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely I think that you know yoga generally has to do with you know my understanding. Or just to share has to do with yoking ourselves to the larger you know like um, larger divinity or God or or put in nature or whatever it is that larger energy. You know, yoking yourself to that, so we union with that divine energy. And then, um, you know, the meditative path has to do with kind of like, you know, separating or understanding how the interdependence of body and mind and how we, we're not stuck in one modality. We're able to move fluidly between, you know, our experience and, and, and creating and how we create the world, all this kind of stuff. So, um, we were talking a little bit about like, um, Sadhguru was a big influence. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about how you experienced his teachings and what makes his teachings uh, unique, or I guess you might say. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, the guru is kind of, I think, a friend of mine called him the the pokester guru. He likes to yeah. poke you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always, he's always laughing and um, 
really, I think his, his teachings and, and, um, and the practices that I've, I've learned from the Isha Foundation have, have really taught me how to laugh at myself, yeah. you know, and how to, how to see, you know, the true nature of everything in a way that um, didn't seem so veiled and difficult to understand. He has this almost um, kind of like uh, Robert Frost, I guess, this like, you know, Robert Frost poetry is put very simply but very profoundly. Uh-huh. And so Guru has a way of, of doing that where he takes something that could in other, you know, in the scriptures or in other sources maybe seem a little in depth and he just puts it in such a simple way and then makes you laugh at the same yeah. time. You know, um, and and gives a lot of access to these uh, to the to this true nature and this true sight. Yeah, I'm definitely a believer in the importance of joy in the path and and happiness and and laughter. And I think laughter really is a way to you know express a, a surprise. You know, mm-hmm. is like when we're surprised and we're kind of getting insight, we kind of have a little you know we have a little joy comes up and all that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. And what were some of the uh, you talked a little bit about the insights and such, and, and I think uh, you mentioned um, was it engineering something inner engineering mm-hmm. as being a work that you hope people will share, uh, people will understand and learn. So um, tell us, expand a little bit more on like uh, how do you how do you go into what is this inner engineering and all that? Yeah, yeah well, he has um, a program called Inner Engineering. Uh, you can do it online or in person. Yeah. Um, and I, I first did it online and then I finished uh, in person as well. And uh, it's it's just a course that really just teaches you how to, I, I don't know how to word it, <laughs> yeah. utilize your energies in such a way to just experience, just to be in, in the experience of now. Mm. I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to explain briefly, but yeah. um, it's, he's doing all he can to make it as accessible as possible and uh, it changed my life forever, and uh, so um, I definitely would hope people would take the program and do the class. So you could do it online or in person. There's also a book he wrote a book called Inner Engineering that you could yeah. read that as well. And tell us a little bit about like your experience of. Do you find uh, songwriting to be like uh, therapeutic, and how? In what way do you find? Uh, do you experience? And how do you recommend people utilize songwriting as like, uh, you know, a form of expressing those feelings? Sometimes we're, we're bound by you know, like, you know, artistic, you know, constraints, but how do you break free of that to be able to explore artistic forms a little bit more uniquely? And, uh, you know, and, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, in other words, like, you know, um, like tell us a little bit about kind of how therapeutic, uh, how feelings come up, how you translate that into. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I'll probably answer that by talking more about teaching yeah, uh, piano. Because um, I, I I like to teach the tiny humans how to play. Yeah, <laughs> and a big part of my lessons is is, is songwriting, is creativity and improv- improvisation. And a lot of times with my kids, I'll I'll ask them like, "How are you feeling today?" Yeah, and they'll tell me you know a story about what happened that day at school or something with mom or dad, and they're like, "All right, so play that." Yeah, you know, just completely ignore any you know anything that you think you're supposed to be playing, any of the notes or the keys or the rhythm or anything. Just just plop your hands down in whatever way you're feeling right now yeah. and just bang on the notes. If you're angry or happy or play silent, if you're feeling quiet and shy or, you know, just different things like that. And, and that's really the core of it. That's where it all starts. You know, it has to start from you. And uh, one thing that I, I like to teach, um, cause a lot of times that's one of the misconceptions about teaching music is I'm teaching a skill. Um, and I don't think I'm teaching a skill. I'm teaching language, uh, you know, like when you learn a new language, um, I wanted, the, I wanted to um, 
minor in Spanish in college. And I ended up not doing that because they were just teaching me to read and write. But I wasn't getting the experience of learning how to speak. I wasn't learning how to take my ideas and communicate it. So with music, I tell everything I teach them is is a new vocab or a new grammar rule or something. It's a new way that you can construct these ideas together to say what you want to say. So it always starts with what are you feeling? What are you saying? And plop your hands down and just use the vocab that you know. If you know two chords, use those two chords in all the different ways you can think of to say what you want to say, yeah. you know. Um, and so it, that's really where it starts. Um, and I, I like to always be teaching and learning new vocab and grammar. I have my little quotes on my fingers. Um, you know, <laughs> always you're always learning the theory of music so that you can say more things. Yeah. You can say things in, in newer ways. Um, yeah. But I like to make certain that, that that's the heart of it. it. It starts with you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's so interesting when you hear you say about the language because I think that, you know, it's important to, you know, once we understand, you know, how to say it, we understand what to say and we kind of flowed from our feelings. I think oh, I'm getting just to restate or kind of re-digest. Re you know, we're kind of allowing our feelings to lead and then we're allowing the language to come from that, you know, the content of what we're saying to come from that, from the feeling first, the feeling comes first and that then that kind of informs what we're saying or, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of informs the, the direction, the energetic direction of where we're going with the song or where we're going with music. And then we're, once we have that kind of language, uh, that syntax and grammar in our mind, then we can kind of allow that to naturally flow through us. Do you think it's innate? Do you think that we music is something that uh, is something that, like, the language, I think we don't have to necessarily understand all the subtle rules but we have innate understanding of it that we kind of allow our, our brains kind of but do you think music is the same way or what do you think about that yeah interesting question yeah. I, I think in a lot of ways it is very similar yeah you know whatever you're surrounded by is the symbolic language that you're going to use to communicate mm. you know and i think everyone has music surrounding them at least rhythm yeah you know at the very least we all have rhythm it's built into our bodies um oh, so heartbeat. i yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and just the way we walk and, you know, everything is somewhat rhythmic um, and everything in life is symbolic, um, you know. So I, I would think that music is sort of in, innate, you know. Yeah. So why don't we start to gear up towards listening to a, a song from your album? Okay. Um, do you want to choose one and then we'll, uh, are you, should I choose one or do you want to choose one? How about we'll, you choose one? I'd yeah, be curious okay. to know what you would choose. Um, I really liked... Uh, track three let me check uh five i'm trying to remember what the name was uh um what was it uh what is, uh, okay uh well wesley was good wesley was interesting i like that was really nice let me play that one okay okay
Thank you. Thank you. Good, good. So, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, the, the, we played, I played the one Wesley by, um, uh, but um, there was also another one with Star Trek. So we were, we were joking a little bit about how <laughs> those congruence there were, you know, one of the characters named Wesley. But it was a coincidence because this this happened to be kind of inspired by, I think, uh, by someone else, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was inspired by a kid I grew up with. But it is, yeah. you know, coincidental. That yeah. But you were saying you know, uh, you're hoping to do more songs about pop culture, about Star Trek or whatever. Yeah, I'm a pretty huge Star Trek fan. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I already have a couple other ideas yeah, that good. I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. There was a, a book, I think, called Warp by the guy who wrote The Magicians about... Uh, a similar kind of concept, riffing off of Star Star Trek and uh-huh. and uh, you know imagining like a modern day person like, imagining they were in Star Trek or something like that. So there's all these different like fiction and 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 uh, art surrounding the the two major uh, franchises, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars that kind of riff off of these ideas and such. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of Picard? You said you started watching it. I did. I did. I saw the first episode. Yeah. Oh, man, I was saying I have to uh, have to rewatch it. Yeah, I have many thoughts and many feelings. <laughs> good, very good. excited overall. Very very excited. Yeah, right. cool, yeah. cool. So um, to switch gears again, um, so let's talk a little bit about um, you know what, what um, I'll ask you the question. One of the questions um, that uh, uh, I had in the pre-interview questions about a belief or practice that you think is strange or popular within your industry. Um, so within singer songwriting. Uh, what is a belief or practice you think that is a little stranger and popular? Um, I guess as a piano player, I um, I'm expected to know a lot of the classic piano songs, and I don't think I know a single one of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just uh, I was saying earlier that I just don't um, I don't really like to cover or play songs that don't speak to me on a heart yeah. level, and a lot of the classic piano songs just don't i just i mean they're great they're fun like at the bar you know what i mean and i'll sing them you know every word but i I won't necessarily play them or spend a lot of energy on on them because they're not really that's not really what i'm doing with my music yeah and you mean like uh stuff like billy joel or yeah pop yeah like classic pop billy joel and there's that cold play song (laughs) you know and i'm just like well they didn't quite speak to me so it's just 80s stuff or like like 80s and like the kind of elton john billy joel it's kind of classic rock like that kind of and going back to the 50s with this kind of elvis presley stuff which is i guess that's more guitar based but i don't know well for me it's really just like those classic songs that people will you know if i was doing you know a, a bar show and someone's yeah. like, play this, play that, because yeah. it's like what you expect the piano player to play. Yeah. And, and like, I just, I'm not, I guess that's more of an entertainment art. Yeah. And I'm not as much of an entertainer yeah. in my art, which is like, that's great for people who who do. They provide yeah. an excellent night for me, you know, yeah. when I want to go listen to that. But that's yeah. just not what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. I, I think as an artist myself, as a poet, you know, I try to provoke or I try to you know, engage with my own discipline, in my own discipline, I try to, um, you know, show something that's not just going to be easy for the for the reader or for the, um, you know, for the recipient to just, you know, say like, ignore. You know, you want challenge, you want to engage, you want to challenge, you want to kind of get them thinking and all this kind of stuff. You want to get your listener to to reflect and do inner work. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to just kind of this pop culture idea of easy listening or easy, you know, kind of. So you can just kind of just go into that rhythm without really interrogating. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's, then there's a space for that and it's needed, I think, yeah. to just go out and have a drink and sing Billy Joel. Yeah. You know, like I think that that's, uh, that's a necessary part of life. It's just not my role. <laughs> mm, yeah. We have a lot of artists mm-hmm. here. The main focus is on how we do that and how we kind of do that intelligently without kind of becoming, you know, we want to kind of find that zone where it's like enjoyable, but also challenging mm-hmm. and finding that right note where it's like somewhere between, you know, not just easy listening, but also not. Not easy, you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you want people to enjoy it, but at the same time, you want to provoke some kind of, you know, yeah. thinking or thinking process, some kind of stimulation. I take a lot yeah. of influence from Tori Amos on that. When yeah. she does her covers, when she covers songs, I, um, I I like to emulate her energy when I cover songs. Because what she does is she'll totally just redo the song from her experience of yeah. it, you know. And that that's what I really love to do is to take. And there's, the, I, there's definitely pop songs that I've covered but I like to take them and I cover them because there's something I can say with it, mm. you know? And so I'll say it in my way Yeah, you know, or at least I'll try to. <laughs> yeah. I've heard know? some of uh, her covers of, you know, popular songs and I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I hear it also in your music that uh, you're kind of energetically transforming it so that then it's not just uh kind of, you know, a lot of times genre music, you know, pop culture music there, you know, it's always the same rhythm. It's always find that formula. And, you know, being able to re-digest it so we're going from the ground up so that then we're just kind of looking at it energetically differently and being able to, you know, transform our experience of the original mm-hmm. is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, what about with live performances? What are some uh, experiences you've had performing live and, 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 and getting feedback from your listeners? Well, tell us a little bit about that process and because uh, you, ta- you, you kind of hinted at it. At how you had stage fright and how that process of overcoming that stage fright and 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 how that experience has become rewarding for you now. Yeah, yeah. that that actually that goes back to that core theme of my life where, where like I focus on on others as a way of connecting with myself. And uh, I did have stage fright up until um, up until I went to college, uh, where I majored in music and I I was forced to get over it. <laughs> like, yeah. There was no way to major in music and not get on stage, so I was forced to get over it then. Um, but you know, I guess there's this, there was this fear of having what was so sacred to me taken from me. Cause I thought that if I opened myself up to criticism and to getting response from other people that it might devalue what I was doing, or it might, um, you know, I, I might not be able to handle that experience of someone not liking it, mm. you know, but it was through the process, you know, I think I did, um, I did a show. It was like a talent show at CSI, at the College of Staten Island. And the first uh, the first year I did it, uh, I didn't make it to the second round. And the reason was that I didn't engage the audience because I was just mm. so scared <laughs> that I was just like huddled in my little ball at my keyboard singing my song because I just wanted the song to be it. I didn't want it me to be, you know. Um, and then the next year I realized I have to be com- I have to be opening up my energy to the audience and communicating mm. with them. And, and looking at them and seeing how they're reacting. And that actually informs how I play. And it's a conversation. And that was when I first learned how to, you know, use this music to communicate with others rather than just to get through my own, uh, you know, processes. And, and that from that point on, it became just fascinating and fun to be on stage. And I still always get nervous and jitters. And there's definitely times where I'm I have an audience that is not quite relating, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to keep going. You know? yeah. <laughs> I try not to talk too much. I try to just, <laughs> just, just play and just sing, but still like, there's ways to engage, you know, while playing and singing. And, um, 
and reading your your audience and communicating and um so it was it was a process of of being very inward and realizing that by by reaching out and connecting with others i i transformed my own inner experience as well yeah it's a really interesting topic mm-hmm. to talk about kind of dealing with criticism and and express and and, and not being deterred but also having a conversation with your listeners so then you can learn from it and grow from it without getting too rigid about, oh, you know, because so-and-so or one audience didn't like it or one audience had some negative feedback or one person has the negative feedback that, you know, now it disrupts my ability to produce. You know what I mean? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want that to happen. You want to have a conversation with the audience and be in dialogue with the audience without putting too much. You know, I'm obviously, you uh, as the artist, we're giving our genuine voice, you're giving our genuine feelings and, and genuine voice. And, you know, listening to feedback sometimes is, is challenging. Sometimes people may not be able to hear it, but having faith and trust in our process, that it's 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 honest and, and dealing with um, uh, quote unquote negative feedback or whatever it is in a way that's healthy and productive. So tell us a little bit more about like how you process feedback. And it's not all the positive stuff too. I mean, some of the positive stuff can also be, you know, um, problematic because then we think like we get you know ego driven or we think that at least in my experience we become very like which i do more of that like in improv it's like when uh someone laughs we're like oh damn it up more but that's not necessarily the best approach you know you want to just take everything and kind of even keep good positive and negative feedback in Mm -hmm. kind of a a even-handed way you know yeah yeah um i so taking taking that criticism i guess going back to that story with the talent show, like, um, you know, that was sort of the feedback I got and, you know, it hurts in in any sense when you make yourself vulnerable in front of a bunch of people and, and to be told, no, that wasn't what you thought you you did, you know what I mean? Um, and that it hurts because it's a revelation, but you know, um, my, since I was, you know, 21, I guess I just have this drive, just step forward, Mm. you know, just, just take a step forward, feel it. It sucks. It hurts. Step forward. Um, and so I took that, you know, and, and the next year really just made myself, honestly make myself more vulnerable to have a com- communication and conversation with a huge room of people. Um, but it worked and I won that competition, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and like, um, and that was really what the feedback was. And that was the confirmation that, oh, this is the path I should be on is, is connection with other people. Um, but you know, cause I do you know, like anybody, I guess, I feel things very deeply. So if if I'm in a room full of people that are not enjoying or not relating because they don't, you know, I'm sometimes like there's a, you know, are you familiar with Mother Pugs on Staten Island? It's like a punk bar. And sometimes when I play shows there, I feel a little weird because it's a punk bar. I'm not playing yeah. punk music, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, and I've walked in, you know, to find everyone dressed in the, the black leather and the spikes and stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> times, I'm like, I just feel like little Huckleberry Finn, uh, you know? Yeah. And, um, but it's, it's honestly, that's, it's, I get nervous and at times feel uncomfortable seeing people who are like waiting for the next band. Uh, but then it's also sort of a challenge to be like, those are the people I want to talk to right now. And like, how can I, how can I talk to them and, you know, um, maybe crack a joke or something, you know, but. Um, it is a way of taking that energy, those, those, and transforming it. Just move it. Just keep yeah. changing. Keep taking a step forward, um, rather than letting it sit. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, it reminds me a little bit of uh, how you know in Back to the Future when uh, Michael J. Fox, the character, plays his song from the you know probably like riffs off at the end of the at the end he riffs off of in like kind of a 
uh, heavy metal kind of a way. And then he's like, you may not like it, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah. You know? Like, so you never know how, you know, sometimes people will sit, sometimes music will sit with someone and then later on they'll be like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. Now I appreciate it. And you never know what kind of gifts you're giving people that 10 years or 20 years from now, they'll be like, oh, you know, now I understand I'm on the same page. So things change and, you know, perceptions change and experiences change, everything changing. So, um, you know, we all have different experiences, different things at different times. So, you know, I think remembering, for me at least remembering that, um, you know, the impression someone has of a, of a piece, like in that moment, may not, even with, may not be the same thing they have, you know, a year from now. So, like, I, I got some quote-unquote negative feedback of a work I wrote, and uh, or just critical feedback. And, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself, oh, you know, I have to assess, you know, whether or not there's any accuracy. And also understanding that that individual reader might experience it differently once it's a little bit more scaffolded or once it's a little bit more, you know, at least in my own work, you know, once it's a little bit more accessible. And that they may have a different experience a year from now. So, you know, just reminding artists that... Um, Sometimes we're a little ahead of our time. I don't know. You know, like, yeah. you know, I know what it is. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And also comics also have experienced this. I know a lot of comics who have really quality work that they just go to an audience and they, for whatever reason they're not feeling it and they, they kind of going a bomb. But they just keep going. And I admire that. I mean, I admire yeah. that. Because sometimes even, like, I'm in a comedy show and I think it's funny, but I'm not necessarily in the mood to be like, you know, I'm not in the gear to be, like, giving the response that the comic perceives that they should be having like laughing or or making a big to do but you know and inside i'm like oh that's funny you know but you know what you know what i mean like so we never know what the inexperience of our audiences that they're having and what day they're having or what they've gone through all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so um we have yeah uh so we have a little bit more time uh what else is coming up for you as far as um like our experience of uh um healing also one of the major themes of the show has to do with art is healing and art is like um a process of development. So you were talking a little bit about teaching uh, earlier about how we're teaching people to use the tools of singer songwriting to heal, I guess, and how, in what way I want to tell us a little bit more about that teaching and process and, and what, what, what kind of takeaway do you think that people should, the listeners can take from you? Oh man. Well, I mean, when I teach music, what I'm, trying to do is to, to teach what my experience is, which is that music brought me back to myself. And a lot of times I'll have kids come in or, or even adults too. I mostly teach kids, but sometimes I teach adults. They'll come in and have this expectation that I'm trying to attain something outside of me, something else that I have to play the song like that person plays it. And, you know, I have to be able to impress these people. And the, the focus is always outside. And a lot of times it, when you have that focus, there's this like, especially some kids who are very sensitive get upset if they don't do it perfectly, you know, and I've never in a lesson expected perfection. In fact, I love it when they mess up because then I get to do what I'm doing. I get to teach. (laughs) So it's like, so I, I, I try to say that, you know, this, this is a way of you discovering you, you know, and that's really where the healing is. Mm. Um, you know, in my own songwriting, um, it was years ago that I learned this lesson when I wrote a song because I thought the people in my community were going to like it. And they did. They loved it. They loved my song and they wanted me to keep playing it. And I hated it. I hated (laughs) it so much because it wasn't me. It was something I was doing to because they liked it because I was trying to impress them. And I I couldn't sit with it. And I scrapped it. And they got really mad at me. I never Uh, I just threw it all out. I never looked at the lyrics, never looked at the music ever again. I don't even remember it now. uh But I, I felt way better after I did that because it wasn't me. 
you know, and it wasn't a journey towards me and towards my connection with other people. It was just an, an outward divisive thing. It was, you know, ignore me and focus on others when really we're not different. We're not, we're not divided at, at our core, you know, and, and we're all connected to a degree. So to focus on that, that connection is really what really brings me back to me. And that's what music is. It's, it's, it's just like using that language and using that, that journey and that experience to experience more of what is now and what is real. And I think that's what really um, is therapeutic about music. Mm, yeah. It makes me think a little bit about how, you know, art and, and how the artistic world, art world, you know, kind of, uh, you know, people train in the specific schools like realism or, uh, you know, naturalism or even, even going further back, we had all these different eras and schools in, in art, you know, the where, um, artists would train to, to imitate or replicate. And then we had, a you know, a process in each century or each era, era where, you know, a new style would emerge and kind of thinking about how that style emerged, how the style was born, how the style created. It's from, I think what you're saying is that, you know, uh, internalizing the language and then kind of re um you know mixing it with your own psychological or your own process because we're all living in this world we're united in human experience and then creating something new out of that human experience so you know we have and then you have like people who are like oh i could have done that or i could have said that you know pollock and stuff oh whatever i mean it's like but that came organically out of the out of a engine that was created an artistic engine that was created that produced an artist who was schooled in that thought and then connected with their inner experience that we all have, that we all kind of experience and then produce art that is organically arising, you know, from out of that mm-hmm. era, that zygast or uh, zygast, I don't know, we're, you know, like, you know, the, the kind of energy of the time, yeah. you know, the kind of riding the momentum of that time. So thinking about that and thinking about how we as artists are able to ride the energy of our time or the energy of that moment and being in that moment, being fully present in that moment, and riding the energy so that we're able to, you know, produce something unique and, and interesting so we can have other artists, you know, kind of get in touch with that aspect. Yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, I feel like that's what jazz taught me. Yeah. You know, I, uh, my emphasis in college was, was, in, uh, was in jazz. I studied under Michael Morreale, Um And uh, that's what I learned from jazz was like you learn everything and then you forget everything. <laughs> you know, you learn all the scales, you learn the theory, you learn the, the progression, you learn you know, the, the form. And then when it comes to, to imp- time to improvise, you just forget everything that you've learned and just trust that it's in you to, to speak. Like right now, I'm not thinking, you know, about words and, 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 and you know, um, letters and grammar. I'm just speaking to you, I'm, oh. you know, because I've learned the language and that's what it is. It's just you, you learn it all, not so that you can display what you've learned. Mm. You learn it all so that you can speak and so you can just yeah. connect. Exactly, exactly. I think that definitely... We have a process where we have to just trust that, you know, our, our process is working, that, you know, when we're really honest, we're really truthful, we're really not allowing our cerebral brain or our, our, our uh, kind of thinking brain to interfere. You know, and that's one of the major practices, you know, in improv and all that kind of thing where we're allowing, you know, theater to emerge out of, you know, organically. There's some structures, but we, we're kind of forgetting and remembering the structure and we're kind of allowing that organic process to happen so that then it produces something that's joyous and, 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 and real and authentic, at least, you know, in theory for improv. I don't know how much it's, it's practiced, you know, when you go see an improv show, I mean, we just hope that 
the uh, uh, actors are doing what process they need to and whatever level they're at, you know, produces the most amount of joy and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I, you know, I think with all kind of artists, all kind of art, we're kind of trying to connect with that core and, and express things authentically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, we are every Monday at 8 a.m. Uh, we broadcast right now at Thursdays at 9 a.m., although we should, you know, listeners should check the schedule that, that's subject to change. But um, you can also, this is episode 108, actually, um, 108. So it's a very significant episode. Uh, you know, as you know, the mala beads have 108 beads on them. So it's very nice to have you on the 108th episode. Um, a very special episode. Um, so uh, why don't we listen to one more song uh, and then we can uh, uh, pull that up. So tell us a little bit more. Uh, let me uh what other song? Let's see. Um, I'll play Star Trek, I guess. Okay. Yeah, since that we were discussing that. I think it's it's uh, track three or something. Uh, okay, you're recording. Okay. Oh, wait, no, that's okay. No, that's not the one? Oh, wait. <laughs> this one? Yeah. There, there we go. <laughs> yeah. It's not my fault, don't you know? Is it fair if I haven't a clue as to what the hell I'm doing? If it isn't a craft or a dish or workout? Because these are the things that I know about. And I haven't watched Star Trek in weeks now.
watch Star Trek. Watch Star Trek. Watch Star Trek. Watch Star Trek. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. So,、um, yeah, I mean, I think that also looking at your, because you had a longer bio than what I read、uh, in the beginning, but、um, some of the aspects of the, your, the uh, uh, text that you wrote、uh, that was written、um, also come through that journalism sound and sarcasm, cut through the core of listeners provoking laughter, outside the box thinking, and exploration of personal experience. I think it's interesting to think about kind of sarcasm and irony or sarcasm and like kind of this.、Um, Way of speaking that kind of, you know, you have the melody and you have the, not to overanalyze, but my experience is that, you know,、um, you have kind of what you're saying verbally and then what you're communicating and kind of sarcasm and irony or using the way of croaking laughter and that jarring kind of discord between the dialogue between what we think, what we're actually saying, what we mean, you know, kind of a thing and how that produces the、um, experience of sarcasm or the experience of like, you know, Out of the box thinking, I guess that's where the, the feet in the ground would be.、Mm-hmm. And what is your understanding? What, what do you get from that? It's my experience as a listener, at least. I don't know. Yeah. And there's a couple other songs on that EP that are far more sarcastic, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I guess,、um, you know, I think about another one of my professors at CSI, Bill Bauer. He taught、uh, his classes using the Dalcros method, which is very body oriented. So、mm. we would actually get up and move our bodies in a way that、um, denoted what, we, what music was. And it was very profound and fascinating to me because、um, I actually had me start to think about my own my personality and my, my,、um, my body language and how I communicate with others. And I find that I am very sarcastic.、Um, and sometimes that's a defense too. If I'm avoiding a serious conversation, sometimes I'll make a joke and I have little things I do with my shoulders、uh-huh. and little, little like, you know, attitudes, I guess. And,、um, And with this song in particular, Star Trek, that actually was a conscious part of the, the songwriting process where I was feeling something very deeply, but I wanted to kind of be cheeky about it.、Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to, you know, make fun of myself in a way, you know.、Um, and, and I noticed that, like, just this little, like, sarcastic shoulder flip, I guess, that I was doing when I would talk about this topic with people.、Um, and so that's sort of, you know, that's sort of a little bit there and just that opening motive.、Um, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can say that、um, one of my books,、uh, Celebrity Sadhana or How to Meditate with a Hammer, kind of follows along this kind of thinking process because I look at, you know, a lot of times people can think of it or some readers have looked at it as like a thesis in the sense of interrogating Buddhist or yogic philosophies and such because it, it does in dialogue with,、um, with these philosophies and my understanding of Buddhist philosophies. But at the same time, it, in the, its core, for me at least as the artist, has to do with kind of that. Tongue in cheek look at you know,、um, my own process, psychological process, and my own understanding of what it means to be me and what it means to be kind of、um, on the path and, and trying my best to、um, you know, be a better person, I guess. I don't know. The, all these, all, you know, see, it feels like we always fall into these cliches when we're talking abstractly. When we get to the ground and the level, we get a feeling around and we talk about our experience, then all of a sudden, We see there's a, there's a big gap between where we're at and where we want to be. So that's where the humor and the, and the sarcasm, the irony all comes in, at least for me、mm-hmm. as the artist. And、uh, listening to your art, it seems like you also on the same page about that, that we're kind of looking at ourselves and kind of making kind of fun of ourselves and making,、uh, joking about ourselves, joking about you know, how you know, the, 
they tell us, oh, this, this is some ideal, holy ideal, and 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 it's us. But at the same time, what, what is this? This is me, the one who likes Star Trek. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like whatever is Star or whatever it is. Um, you know, like you're like, oh, that's where the humor comes in because that we think to ourselves, or many people think to ourselves, you know, holy person is like up in the mountains, but you know, holiness is is down in the streets. You know, it's down in the uh, down the ground. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think. Um... Uh, you know, Ram Das just recently uh, yeah. transitioned, and I, I think about something that he says. There's a lot of things that he said that that resonate with me. But one thing was, he says, if you if you connect a source, I don't know if these are exact words. They're not exact words, but if you connect a source well in the woods, go to the city. If you connect the you know with source in the city, go to the woods. Mm. You know, because that's where you'll truly connect and and truly experience that. Yeah, um, yeah. I think definitely. I think that recognizing or understanding that where we're at is where we're at. And, and that there's, I think that also a lot of people have the misperception that, you know, I have to be someone else to be uh divine or be like, uh you know, get in touch with our true nature. You're already, you already are. You're already yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Get exactly. Yeah. Just get out of the way and see it. Exactly. That's what the yoga and practices that, yeah. are designed to do. Yeah. Is that it's not, you're not, yoga is, Mm. You know, the practices aren't yoga. Yoga just is. Yeah. And the practices are designed to help you see what is. <laughs> mm, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people have that perception that, you know, um, that uh, what I am, what I am right now is not worthy or not good. But we have to recognize that what we are right now is worthy and good. And that um, ultimately, I think that, you know, kind of facing our, our the, facing the, that the result of our actions is is ripening every moment. And that, you know, just kind of like being just very abstract, you know, like I, I did something or I, whatever it is, I'm reaping the consequences, whether good or bad. And just like, just like a student, it's like when you make a mistake, you know, as you're saying, a teacher is there to tell you that's what their job is to help you guide you so that you can, you know, be more fully you, you know, mm-hmm. you can be more fully experience yourself, experience your own experience authentically and, and truthfully. Mm-hmm. So the teacher, you know, so it's always helpful to someone to have a community, a teacher, uh, or someone else, someone else's eyes to be able to give us that perspective that we can, we can change, we can change and we can achieve and we can grow. We can all that kind of thing. So going back to community in Staten Island and, and how that community is developing and how we all want to support that community. So tell us, tell us also where we can, um, as you start, I think we have like a few more minutes to so tell us a little bit where we can find you and uh, what is coming up for you as far as um, musically and, performances all that kind of stuff uh, any plugs yeah um well you can find me online it is grove rune uh grove like an orange grove rune like a nordic rune <laughs> yeah. um on uh, instagram and facebook and on Bandcamp. um uh, as far as my, my next couple of gigs i'm actually doing a, a singles awareness show on february 15th at that punk bar that i was talking about i'm gonna be at mother pugs on staten island on forest avenue a bunch of really incredible bands playing that night um it's one of those you know if you you're single, you wear green. If you're taken, you wear red and you're not sure where yellow. I think I'm just going to wear purple and say screw all of you. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But, um, and then my next show, I'm actually going to be opening up for Sammy J at the Bowery Electric on February 22nd. That starts at uh, 8 p.m. You got to get your tickets on Eventbrite. Um, that's really exciting. I'm very excited. All right. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent listener supported radio, uh, Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, RFB's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, to promote media literacy and free expression. Uh, we rely primarily on donations to listeners like you. 
So every dollar helps us to stay on air, support the independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to the folks under the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate or go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash shoot the power and you can sponsor. There's a little link that I sponsored this show. You can sponsor this particular show if you're really so moved, if the spirit so inclines. Uh, if you'd like to listen to RFB when you're on front of your computer, if you're listening in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android. Develop the app stores for those respective um, companies. Uh, Radio Brooklyn's Drive to Five fundraising campaign is underway. In May, RFB turns five years old, and we need to raise twenty-five thousand. So, if you can continue, uh, so we can continue to bring you commercial-free, independent radio for another five years, because you think raising money should be fun. Each month, we'll bring listeners fun challenges with great prizes. This month's challenge is a quiz to find out how well you know Bushwick. Uh, the top five scores will win a limited edition fifth anniversary RFB T-shirt. Please enter Truth to Power Show as your favorite show when taking the quiz, and uh, I guess I'll get a prize as well. Uh, you can take the quiz and make a donation. Or find out more at ReliefBrooklyn.org slash Drive to 5. You can also dial 718-673-8201 to leave us a message letting us know why you love RFB and to wish us a happy birthday. Your message may be played on air. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, we have a uh, few more minutes. Uh, who's your favorite Star Trek character? <sighs> oh, man. Uh, seven of nine. Seven of nine? Yeah, yeah. Seven of nine. That's good. Yeah, she's it a good one. changed my yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. From Voyager, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I always love Data, but uh, I guess like out of the, I don't know, I guess Data is probably my favorite character because I think like he kind of riffs off the formula that uh, Spock did, but in a very interesting way, you know. Mm-hmm. I think he had a very interesting development until the the end of um, the last movie. So it'd be interesting to see how they pick up from, um, I'm, I'm going to watch Picard because I, I'm interested to see how they pick up his narrative because I guess he had the Spockian sacrifice at the end of uh the last movie oh, yeah, or whatever i forget it is like so it's interesting how they if they just disregarded it or if they just if they somehow integrated in his new uh they had like a new body or something and i forget exactly how they ended it in mm. that movie but he had like a whole new android so it's interesting to see how whether or not they even acknowledge that sometimes movies will like just not acknowledge you know things that are too complicated yeah you know, like twin Hope peaks did that <laughs> twin peaks did that with a couple of Plot points with it ends with how's Annie and then they just Annie never comes back. You know, I don't know why. Like, I don't know. Like the the season two finale was like uh he's like asking, How's Annie? How's Annie? And then Annie never comes back and when they they return. So I was kind of upset about that. Uh-huh. But I don't know. All right. So we'll go out, we'll just listen a little bit because we have like three more minutes rather than just like, you know, pitter pattering to the end. We'll we'll listen a little bit more to your music. I'll play the the last track on uh just listen for a few more minutes and then just to remind everyone, this is Radio Free Brooklyn, Truth to Power Show, every Monday at 8 a.m. If you're listening live, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And hope to hear, uh, hope to, and you can always give feedback, Truth to Power Show at Gmail. Feel free to write to me or find me on social media, VGR Nathan Poet on Facebook or Truth to Power Show on Instagram. And feel free to be like, oh, I love your show or whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, it's great. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Grove. Thank you. Was just making some coffee, ignoring all of your text messages. Cause you do the same and I bet.
that cause you want me to miss you, miss you, miss you No, that's not it Just for a half an hour and you thought that I'd rather Caress your body than just not Thirsty, 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 thirsty Yeah. 